Welcome to Surviving 20s, a safe space for young adults in their 20s trying to survive. My name is Bria Alicia, and I'm your host. Surviving 20s highlights the misfortunes and struggles that we all face in our 20s, whether that's navigating time management, adulting, love, life, family members, spirituality, sexuality, and much more. On the podcast, we have 20-somethings from all walks of life to highlight what they've been through and what they've truly survived. This is a podcast to let you know that you are not alone, and whatever you're going through, you will survive. All right, welcome, Chase, to Surviving 20s. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It feels good to be here. It feels real good. I'm really excited. I've been thinking about this all day. So, yeah, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Just working and surviving. It's all we can do. Yes, um, so, how are you? Um, how are you doing, you know, with everything that's going on in the world? How are you keeping yourself sane? Um, honestly, I find myself at the beach a lot, like, that's really like my my go to. Um, I go to school in uh at Bethune Cookman, um, in Daytona Beach, Florida. So like, you know, I have I'm blessed enough to be able to you know go five minutes down the street and go to the beach. Um, and besides that, as far as like from a spiritual standpoint, really, I just try my best to like, you know, keep myself out of stressful situations if I can. I mean, granted, you know, life is crazy. Sometimes things happen that we can't control, but. You know, for as far as the things that I can't control, I try to keep nothing but positive energy and positive vibes around me. So that's that's pretty much how I'm okay. myself saying. Um, uh, she's definitely the reason why I'm as, like, goal-driven and goal-oriented as I am. Because, you know, I saw my mom bust her ass to, you know, provide for me and my sister. Um, so I kind of try to adapt that mindset surrounding, you know, everything that I do without my life, um, throughout my life. But, um, you know, growing up, um, not really having a father around. I don't want to say it affected me in the way that it affected a lot of other black boys, but it kind of made me, I don't know, I'm going to be transparent. It kind of made sense that, you know, my mom, she didn't really know. It's like hard for a woman to really raise a man because there's certain things that, you know, that a man knows that a woman just doesn't and vice versa. So it was a lot of things that I uh I lacked. I was a huge mama's boy. I was one of those one of those kids. Every time I fell, I cried. Like it was just, you know, it did a lot of damage to me in a different way. And, you know, I kinda had to as I grew older, I kinda had to, you know, adapt that tough skin, um, and be like, you know, yeah, it might hurt, you know, yeah, you fall, but you gotta get up, you know, yeah, you might miss your mom, but at the end of the day, you know, you're a man now. Like you gotta grow out of being a mama's boy. Um so, uh, so yeah, um, as far as where I am in my life now, like I said, I go to Bethune Cookman studying criminal justice on my senior year, um, in hopes of becoming a homicide detective. Um, so I feel like I'm doing pretty well. Um, you know, of course I have my battles, I have my demons that I fight, but, um, you know, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm doing pretty well for myself. Um, good, good. Um, I know that your your episode is actually talking about those emotions and, you know, where they can take you, especially like you said, as a young black boy, single parent home. And sometimes we're either shunned away from talking about those emotions, especially when you come from a single parent home. But as a black man, you know, you're not even supposed to express that. And I think that's how I found you on Twitter. August the 30th, you had posted something about what you were going through and 
you know, your tweet said, trigger warning, I've debated about doing this for quite some time, um, but hopefully by coming out, coming forward, it would give someone the courage to do the same. I never thought this would be me. I'm outgoing, char- uh, charismatic, and have very high self-esteem. And there's a picture, a picture of your wrist and where you self-harm. Mm-hmm. So when did depression or self-harm, when did you notice that? That's crazy. I was literally just talking about this um, yesterday, but uh, really coming to college was my first time experiencing a lot of things. Um, I experienced my first heartbreak. I experienced, you know, my first real battle with, you know, my anxiety and with my um, depression. Um, but it was just like, you know, things like, you know, being overwhelmed, you know, not really knowing um, at the time what I really wanted to do. Um I knew why I was in college. I knew that I always wanted to pursue a career in criminal justice, but criminal justice is so is such a, you know, a broad career that is so many different avenues that I could go into. Um, so it was just, you know, the pressure of life itself. But um, as far as when it really like started to take a toll, um, it was um, I left Daytona and went back home in um, May because um, I was staying here for a while when the pandemic first started, when school got out. Um, so then I went back home and, you know, everything was going well, everything was going fine. And then I lost my uncle, um, my uncle on my dad's side. And I didn't really expect it to take a bigger toll on me as it did, because I'm not really close to my dad's side, but I was always finding myself, you know, fighting this, finding this battle because it was like, you know, even though we weren't close, I feel like still that there was something that I could have done to reach out. Like, granted, me and my father might not have had the best relationship, but, you know, my uncle, he was, you know, he was always pretty crazy monster trucks. You know, we had a a pretty good um, uncle-nephew relationship. Once that came around, um, it was like, how do I deal with this? Because because, um, I want to grieve this man because obviously he's my uncle. You know, he's my blood. I grew up with him. He taught me, you know, something, even though he might not have been around a lot. But on the flip side, you know, my dad and the history that I have with his family and the history that my mom um had with his side of the family is so like messed up and misconstrued to the point where it's just like I'm confused because you know they caused me and my family pain they caused me and my family harm at the end of the day um so that in and of itself is really where it first started and then me and my girlfriend at the time had ended up breaking up so you know how the whole breakup thing goes. Um, that was just, it was a lot. It was just like, you know, my uncle passed and usually I would have this girl here with me to get me through that. But now I'm having to find different ways and different avenues to cope with this, you know, independently. Okay. So after that happened, I got my first car. I got it for my birthday on June 29th. And then I didn't, I hadn't even had my whole, a car a whole 24 hours before I literally wrecked it the next day. So it's like by this time, it's just like, bro, I cannot catch a break. It's just always something. My people were on me, my sister, my grandma, everybody just seemed like they were closing in on me. And I'm just like, yo, it's just like I'm I'm I, I just like I'm backed up into a corner and I don't really have a safe space. Um, so what really kind of took the cake was when my great grandmother passed away. My great grandmother was a huge part of my life. Like she was the the first woman I ever fell in love with. Um, you know, from the time that I was literally a baby, she's done nothing but nurtured and loved me. Um, even in her old age, she started to get dementia and she wasn't she couldn't really remember a lot, but you know, she could always still remember, you know, who her loved ones were. She always still remembered me. She always told me she loved me. Um 
it was just, you know, little things like that, um, that really just went to show the type of woman that she was. Cause being that she was in her old age, being that she was somewhat, you know, losing her, her mind, um, so to speak, you know, she still made it a point to tell the people that she loved that she loved her. She still knew enough to know that, you know, she loved the people that surrounded her. Um, and it's like, when I lost that, I literally did not know what to do. Cause it was like, that woman was everything to me. Like my great grandma was like the best thing that I had ever known. Um, so, um, after that, I kind of just, I can, you could say I went off the deep end. Like I started, you know, drinking a lot more. I started smoking a lot more. I just started to, um, explore a lot of different toxic, unhealthy, you know, avenues. And, um, it helped for the time being, of course, being drunk helps while you're drunk, being high helps while you're, while you're high. But, um, ultimately you're not going to be drunk forever. You're not going to be high forever. And you're going to come to a point where it's like, well, damn, I'm still going to have to deal with this at the end of the day because it's still here. Um, and that process in and of itself was hard for me because it's hard to, like I said, it's hard to find yourself, um, in the middle of trying not to lose yourself. And then in the midst of all that I had going on, I felt like I was losing myself. I felt like I was losing my grip. But at the same time, I felt like I couldn't really afford to do that because in the stage that I'm entering in my life with about to explore, you know, about to start my career, about to graduate um, college, you know, I have to somewhat find some type of path, some type of avenue. So I won't just graduate and be like, okay, well, I'm a bump on the log and I don't know what to do. So it's just like a lot of different, a lot of different battles that I had to, that I had to fight. And, um, it was just really hard. So, um, one day, um, it was just, when I woke up, it just seemed like it was just, it was just, you know, from the time I woke up, it was something, you know, me and my mom had got into it that morning and it was really, really bad. Um, I ended up trashing the kitchen, glass everywhere. And, you know, my mom and my sister, they left and they had went to lunch or something like that. And, you know, I just found myself in the in the bathroom floor with one of the pieces of glass that I um, that I had broken the kitchen and I just started cutting myself um, to this day. I don't necessarily know what I was getting, what I was looking for by doing that. Um, it was just one of those decisions where it's like I feel so much pain. I feel so much turmoil. And it's like I have feel like I have no other place to resort to, you know, obviously in that in that mindset, I'm feeling suicidal, but I don't think that I'm, you know, strong enough or courageous enough to actually take my life. So it's just kind of like I'm going to flirt with that that line between, you know, life and death. And, you know, sitting there, it was just like I didn't even really like I didn't feel it like it was just mm -hmm. like I was just kind of going through the motions. I was so numb. I was just so fed up. And. It was like by the time that I looked at my arm and I saw how much damage I had done, and I was just like, well, damn, like I really got to this place. Like I really allowed my mental health, my circumstances throughout life to get me to this place where I'm like wanting to harm myself. So, you know, that's when I was really like, okay, you know, yeah, you might seem like you're at rock bottom, but the good thing about being that low is there's nowhere to go but up. So, you know, I started to I started to get my prayer, my prayer life back. Right. Because I was always really heavily involved in church up until I went to college. So I tried to get my spiritual life right because I'm always a firm believer. in you know, if you got God at the center, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if you're right, left or whatever. You know, God is going to put you back on the path that you need to be on. 
Um, so, you know, with that in the forefront of my thoughts and with me trying to take on a positive attitude day by day, I felt, you know, a little bit lighter. I felt like the load was a little bit easier to bear. Granted, I still have my days, you know, I still have my really bad days and I have really good days, but, you know, through it all, I've, I really learned a lot about myself. I really learned that I'm a fighter. It takes a lot to to get me down and it takes a lot to keep me down. But one thing I know about myself is I don't really stay down for long. And um, it sucks that it took me having to go through so much to really find myself in this sense. But I, every day I thank, I thank God for the process because yes, even though it is hard, I'm still continuing to learn about myself. I'm still continuing to grow and I'm still continuing to evolve. And, you know, that's, that, uh, that's what a part of life is about, you know, growing, evolving, being better today than you were yesterday. So I'm, I'm kind of lost for words. Um, but I want to touch on when you were saying that more so that, you know, you had this expectation of what your life should be. You went to college and it's not necessarily that college should have been that, solve all your problems but it's supposed to alleviate where you need to go but now you're in this field and it's like okay but it's so many things that I could do but it's not no guarantee that it will be done on top of family on top of a love interest on top of everything and maybe that people didn't even see that you were wearing a mask right they saw Chase as the alpha, Chase as the man, or Chase as whomever, but they couldn't see you. So ultimately, you were drowning. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you feel that um, there are other young Black men um, that are in college that are feeling the same way, but they can't be themselves or their, their true selves because of those um, titles that are placed upon them? Oh, uh, yes, most definitely. Um, I'm more than sure, more than positive that there are, you know, millions of, of young black men on college campuses going through the exact same thing that I'm going through. It's just for the simple fact that, you know, like kind of ha- like you said at the beginning, as a black man, we're kind of taught to suppress our emotions. We're taught, you know, you got to be strong. There's no need. Uh, there's no real room for you in this life to be weak with how, you know, society views you and how society looks at you. So, you know, you, you don't you talk, you know, even playing sports, suck it up, you know, don't cry, suck it up. Um, you know, you fall and you scrape your knee. I know you ain't over there crying. You better sit there. And you better suck it up. And that kind of spirit towards towards us, it kind of like molds us into being this this hard, this hard um, shell in a sense. It's like, you know, we're numb. We, we're, we're trained not to feel. We're trained not to have emotion. We get to a point where it's like, you know, like I said, we get to college. And we experience depression for the first time. We experience anxiety for the first time. We experience our first heartbreak. And it's like, we don't know how to deal with those emotions because we're not taught necessarily how to. And, you know, we're taught to suppress our emotions so much to the point where, you know, we're causing ourselves all of this underlying trauma and we don't know why. And come to find out it's because nobody really taught us that it was okay to cry. Nobody taught us it was okay to be depressed. No one taught us that it was okay to have anxiety instead we're taught oh you depressed you need to go sit on somebody's couch oh you depressed you have anxiety call your doctor and go get you some medication i mean that might work for some people but i know that doesn't work for everybody because at the end of the day that's you're not really dealing with it you're not really coping with it you know you're just you're, you're throwing me into these scenarios and saying well if this works then cool if this doesn't you know keep going instead of saying no it's okay to sit there and it's okay to cry your eyes out it's okay to cry yourself to sleep at night but, you know, like I said, we're not really taught that. So we're just 
you know, it leaves us in a, in a space where we're just like stuck, especially when we're going through something like, you know, some real life trauma. It's like, well, dang, who do I go to? Who can I be vulnerable with? Because I don't even know how to be vulnerable with myself. So most definitely. Um, and I've, um, you know, me and my me and my fraternity brothers, we are extremely close. I know some of my fraternity brothers have the exact same problem. Um, it might not be in necessarily this same exact way as me. But, you know, it manifests in different people in different ways, depending on, you know, how you were brought up and how you were taught to handle your trauma. Um, so, yeah. Which is true. Um, I know that when you said about the cutting, I work in a hospital. And so when I see people that are cutting, usually nine times out of 10, like they say, they don't want to die, but they don't they don't want to feel this emotion. So sometimes cutting is a relief. Right. So you're trying to feel something or you're trying to substitute the emotional feelings for the physical feelings. Right. And the fact that while you're cutting, it's a sense of control. Right. Exactly. And it, take, it, it takes it away for you. Did you just cut in that instance? Because um, I know sometimes cutting can be addictive for some people. Um. Yeah, I, I it was a, a one time thing for me. Um. Like I said, I had just got so angry, so low to the point where, you know, I just, I was, it was like really impulsive. And then, um, you know, I ain't gonna sit here and say I'm bougie, but I don't really like, you know, being scarred up. Of course, nobody likes being scarred <laughs> up. So, you know, I'm like, you know, yeah, things might get hard. Things might get a little too hard for me at some times, but I'm learning to love myself, you know, enough to not want to bring myself harm, bring myself that pain anymore. And, um, you know, I'm out here being an advocate for mental health, um, telling other people, you know, trying to speak life into other people. And in that instance, I have to, you know, practice what I preach. So I can't be out here saying, you know, love yourself, don't hurt yourself when I'm hurting myself and I'm not loving myself. So I got to set that example at the end of the day as well. Mm-hmm. So before posting your um, your tweet, did you disclose to anyone or did your mom or did your sister see your wrist and was like, oh, my God, we got to get you to a hospital. We need you to go to a therapist. How did all of that unfold? Um. So honestly, my sister was the first person to kind of figure it out because she saw she went in the bathroom and she saw all the bloody tissues Um. I thought I had gotten everything. I thought I had wiped the bathroom clean, but it was, I think it was a one bloody tissue that I let fall behind the the sink or the toilet, one or the other. Um, And uh, me, my mom and my sister were all outside on the couch and, you know, talking about what happened. Cause like I said, we had gotten to an argument that day. And then I was like, you know, well, y'all sitting here making me seem crazy. Like I'm the culprit for, you know, making the scene that I made when I didn't have these scars on my arm for a couple of days and nobody's noticed. And then that's when my sister's like, yeah, I noticed, whatever, whatever. I'm like, well, if you notice, why didn't you say anything? Like, you know, granted by that time, it, it wouldn't have really like helped because the damage was done. But it's just some fact that, you know, you're my sister, you're my mom. I live in this house with y'all. I see y'all every single day. Y'all, y'all claim y'all noticed the, the changes in my mood and my attitude. But, you know, it's gotten to the point where I feel like I need to cut myself and, you know, I still feel invisible. Um, I'm still in a way being told to suppress my feelings, to suppress my, to suppress my emotions, because, you know, I'm throwing off the, the vibe in the house or, you know, I'm always walking around, you know, with a bad attitude, this and the third. So. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I'm really close to my line brothers. Um, so um, they were. 
they were the first people that I called um, and actually like told what happened. And um, yeah, since then, you know, they've been a real big help, um, you know, sending me different resources. Um, they sent me different hotline numbers that I could call anytime that I feel, you know, down or having those thoughts again. Um, but other than that, I really kept it private. Um, the only the only way that you would have known if you would have assumed by seeing maybe the scars on my arm, because I didn't really like keep it like, you know, hidden. I didn't wear long sleeves or anything like that. It was a summer. It was hot. It was like, you know, yeah, it happened. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wear these scars because at the end of the day, it's a decision that I made. Um, so, yeah. And I guess um, when I decided to actually like go public, um, so to speak, um, one day I was just sitting in my dorm room. And I was just looking at my arm and I was just like, man, like this really like happened. Like, you know, it's been by that time it had been like two or three months um, after it happened. And I was just, you know, reflecting and I'm like, you know what? I feel like it's time that I could, it's time that I free myself. Um, it's time that I, you know, let people know my story, let people know my struggle. And I was like, you know, you never know, you might be helping somebody else. Um, you know, you might, you might, you might just, you know, stop somebody from taking their life just by, um, them seeing what I posted on the timeline. And I mean, it, it proved to be uh, beneficial to some people, you know, I got a lot of DMs, a lot of text messages, um, a lot of thank yous from people, um, just for, you know, my honesty and my transparency and, you know, like I, like I said in a tweet, I didn't do it for the recognitions. I didn't do it for the, the tweets. I didn't do it for the retweets. None of that. I did it just so that somebody else could possibly be free through my story and so that I could be free myself. Because um, I was in denial about myself for a very long time. I didn't want to ever think of myself as, you know, that guy who, um, the crazy guy who cries himself to sleep at night or, you know, the guy who walks around here with anxiety or the, the guy who has to take antidepressants or something or anxiety medication you know I didn't want to be that guy um but you know turns out that you know life hit me kind of harder than I expected um which is okay um but you know I just had to learn how to bounce back and how to keep bouncing back um better and better each time so like I said that's why I really appreciate the process for for what it's taught me um because it just it, it, it made me all around a truly stronger individual Awesome. So during this process, were there were there any things that you had to let go, like any um, certain mindsets or expectations that you even placed upon yourself or that maybe others placed upon you? And you was like, you know what, I got to let that go because that's that's not serving me. Um, Most definitely, especially when I got to school, because it's like with me being um, like like you said, with me being an alpha. And with me having the presence that I have on campus and with me always having to, you know, portray, you know, the alpha man, the outgoing, smart, good grades, you know, still being involved in other orgs on campus. Like you said, I had I had to wear a mask like I had to people couldn't see uh, Chase. People di at that point didn't see me as Chase. I was always seen as, you know, Chase the alpha to the point where it was just like you know, I was looking in the mirror and it was like, well, damn, like, you know, who am I? Because granted, you know, I didn't come to school to pledge, but I put in all this work, put in all this effort, um, continuing to put in all this effort for, you know, this fraternity. And I still have this, you know, this, this persona to uphold. Um, so I really had to learn how to, I don't want to say in a way, push back from Alpha, 
but I had to find myself in the sense that I had to remember who I was and why I went to college. I had to remember that I wasn't in college to necessarily be Greek. Yes, it is an amazing opportunity. I wouldn't trade Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated for the world. But granted, you know, if I'm not the best, if I'm not the best chase outside of Alpha, how can I be the best Alpha? So I had to sit back and reevaluate, you know, certain things. I had to stop talking to certain people. I had to stop going to so many parties. I had to stop going to so many kickbacks. I had to stop drinking so much um, just so I can clear some spiritual room, clear some spiritual space so that, you know, I could be the best chase first and then in a sense become, you know, the best alpha by um, through that process, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, honestly, that's really the biggest thing. Um, Cause like I said, back home, um, I'm not really having to, I mean, I'm an alpha 24 seven. I'm always um, upholding the light. I'm always portraying that alpha man, but you know, at home, not being on school, not being at campus, I don't necessarily have all that attention, have all those eyes on me. So all I really had to focus on was what I had going on at that moment. But, you know, like I said, coming to school um, with, you know, still having to do with all those deaths that I had and, um, you know, really being new to this whole mental health thing on top of having to separate, you know, me and my regular self from Alpha is just it was just a lot. But, you know, it's doable. I'm I'm doing it. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an adjustment, and I feel like in your 20s, that's all we do is we adjust, we at tr- we transition, and it's uncomfortable, and then right when we get comfortable, it's like, it's something else, and it's just this roller coaster uh, of the unknown. Right. And if you don't have that foundation, sometimes you can find your place, find yourself, like you said, looking at yourself in the mirror and not recognizing who that person is. Right. Okay, so how do you feel that we um as a black community or that we can create a safe space for young black men who are going through or unable to say how they feel how do you feel that we can create that young that that safe space for you all i said honestly just like just listen just you know being there and you know saying that i hear you instead of saying you know sit here and listen to me um that that goes a long way because we have this um, I find that we have this thing in the black community um, where it's like just because a person might be older or just because a person was brought up in a in a different time, that that means they understand all the secrets and the ins and outs of life. And it's like, no, you know, everybody's struggle, everybody's battles, everybody's wars and demons are different. So, you know, sit here and try to listen to me, try to understand me. Don't uh, don't be so quick to try to, you know put your two cents in or don't be so quick to necessarily in some instances try to give advice because that makes, you know, that makes me feel like, well, you know, you're not really so, so much focused on what I'm going through. You're just focused on what you want me to hear and you're not focused on hearing me. So, you know, just listen and be, you know, try to be empathetic, try to really um, see things from more than one perspective. That's, that's, um, I feel like that, that's the biggest thing. Um, Looking from things, um in more than one perspective because i feel like it's through that that you really that's where that empathy piece really comes in because once you see things from you know somebody else's shoes it's like well i can really see how he feels that way or i could see how you know when he says i do this how he could feel this way this that and the third you get what i'm saying and just really like 
um just really put yourself in in that other person's shoes. what advice do you have for um young black males that are either in college or at home uh what advice do you that what advice do you have for them that's suffering in silence oh that's a good question <laughs> honestly just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible um you know there will be times where you wake up and you just like i really cannot do this today there'll be times where you know you might have those suicidal thoughts like you know i really don't want to be here i'm tired you know life is getting hard but like i said just because it's hard doesn't mean it's impossible just that, that doesn't mean that it's not doable but you know you got to stay in the fight because it's through fighting it's through those battles it's through fighting those demons it's through you know waking up and um going throughout your day through your anxiety and through through your depression it's through those days through your worst days where you have your best growth and where you have you know your best you know self realization moments um oftentimes we really we're really so quick to you know um wish for 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 perfect times and you know we don't live in a perfect world um so we have um it's not everything's not going to be always you know peaches and cream but the only thing that matters is you stay in the fight and you stay strong um and find your path go at your own pace um don't let the success of others try to intimidate you into moving your life along faster than what you need to be going ultimately you know if you believe in god if you keep god first you will never be too far behind You'll never be too far ahead. You'll always be right where you need to be when you need to be there. Um, that's the, I feel like that's the, the the best advice that I wish somebody would have given me. Awesome, awesome. So when you hear surviving 20s, what does that mean to you? When I hear surviving 20s, that means to me finding the ins and outs of life while you're, you know, taking your first steps into adulthood. Um, you know, when I was, what, say 18, 19, I couldn't wait till I turned 20. Like, you know, I just could not wait to, to be in my 20s until I got there. And it's like, oh, well, damn, this is what being <laughs> like, damn, this is what being 20 is like. Like I turned 21. I was like, yeah, I can buy alcohol. I can, you know, do pretty much anything now. But I got a car payment. You know, I'm looking for an apartment. I'm about to graduate. So it's like, you know through all of this stuff that could possibly take me out, I have to survive through it all because at the end of the day, you know, I have to, I want to live to fulfill my destiny. So I can't life, I can't let life, let alone my twenties take me out because I won't be able to get to my thirties. I won't be able to get to my forties. I won't be able to be in my fifties. You know, I won't be able to see my legacy come to light. So I have to survive. You know, I have to stay down for, you may, maybe this one period of my life. I have to, you know, Stay down through the lessons, stay down through the hard times. But, you know, the the, the big part of the sur the phrase surviving 20s is the surviving part, you know, because, you know, the 20s are going to happen if you're, you know, God, God willing, you, you live to see 20s, you live to see through your 20s, you know, you stay healthy, you stay out of harm's way, boom, you live to see 30, but you have to survive it first, if you get what I'm saying.
So, um, yeah. so yeah, definitely just staying strong just through your 20s because it's definitely a period that you have to stay strong for it. Well, thank you, Chase, for being on our show. Thank you for your transparency, your bravery. I know that this will help somebody that's in college, whether it's male, female, greed, non-greed, to know that they're not alone and that they can take that mask off. Not for Corona, right. but they can take the mask yes, off that they're, you know, they're suffering from. Thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of Surviving 20s. As always, make sure to like, share, subscribe, and comment below. Bye, guys.